This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. This is In Psychedelia on 3CR. Um, my name is Nick Wallace and we talk all things drugs and the intersection of uh, drug issues and a number of other social issues that happen in society. Uh, thank you very much to Freedom of Species who will be back next week from 1pm if you want to find more information from them, from them, including their podcast, which you can subscribe to. Follow the links. Uh, on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au to Freedom of Species. And while you're on the website, you can also follow the links to the Encyclopedia uh, page uh, where you can find our own podcast, which is a little bit behind again. Um, look, it's it's an ongoing uh, ongoing thing. I'm, I, I'm at that point um, where I keep thinking that I can... Uh, uh, do all these things in the amount of time that I have, but don't quite have that amount of time that I think that I have uh, at a later point. Uh, Ash, co-host, how you doing? Feeling the same. <laughs> <laughs> too yeah. many things, too many things. Now, last weekend you were at Strawberry Fields Festival. I was. Um, shall we talk a little bit about Strawberry Fields now? Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, so... Start with Strawberry Fields. First of all, Amazing. Um, the music was fantastic. Uh, excellent lineup of musicians. I'm, you know, some people are really into the Psytrance scene, but it's not really my thing. I'll go to Psytrance parties just for the festival environment, but the music is often just <laughs> somewhere between not my thing and excruciating. The music at <laughs> Strawberry was a lot more vi- my vibe, and some of the sound systems were so crisp well, and beautiful. Yothu Yindi were playing it. Uh, I was on shift you, during oh, Yothu Yindi. Yindi. Everybody came back afterwards and told me how good it was. Apparently, Yothu Yindi, they played it um, sometime around like 12.30 in the morning and apparently it was the bomb. Like I, People were like, oh my god, it was so good. I heard it was, and, and they really um, come, I, I don't know what the story is behind uh, their comeback, but I have noticed that they're on a lot of, I mean they played at uh, the Croxton in Thornbury last week as well following Strawberry Fields mm. um, where Lydia Thorpe, the Greens MP who got up uh, in the by-election in Northcote, uh, also spoke she's an Indigenous woman, so mm-hmm. she got up and spoke with Yothi Congratulations Yindi. to well Lydia Well done, Thorpe. Lydia. Yes, uh, from winning it from the from the ALP uh, for the first time ever in that seat. That is the first time it has shifted from the ALP. So, you know, congratulations there. Um, yeah, and and w- what about the issues? So the, the Strawberry Fields has traditionally been targeted very heavily by the police uh, on the way in with sniffer dog operations on either side of the border. It's just on the New South Wales border. Uh, just over. So it tends to have this um, interesting... It's almost like a competition between like the Vic Police and New South Wales Police on who can be the most hardcore (laughs) or whatever. So um, this year, from the reports that I've had, that they were maybe a little bit less hardcore about some of the sniffer dogs and searching than they have been. Uh, There was a report on Triple J's hack program about two years ago or something now about, you know, they had some of the young women talking about being forced to squat over a mirror and this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely disgusting. So none of that happened, as far as I know. They did have a sniffer dog operation uh, on the New South Wales side of the border on the way in. And the typical... You know, exit festival exit operations, breath testing, drug testing drivers, that kind of thing. Um, but overall, that side of it was maybe not as bad as it has been in past years. On site, um, the police were fine. 
Um, as they as they almost they, always they are. They almost always are. Although at Strawberry there was some, like it was very weird. My first Strawberry to see police in what essentially looked like riot gear riding around on motorbikes, looking mm. very intimidating. I'd never seen anything like it in the festival space before. That's now gone. Not didn't see anything like that. And the police were, um, you know, they were they were fine on site. Like as far as I could tell, I had, maybe some people had bad interactions, but I, I'm yet to hear of any particularly egregious um, behaviour from the police. The festival itself, yeah, really good. There were, uh, I guess, a few things, you know, some people... Um, As there's going to be when you've got five to 10,000 people uh, yeah, of course. in one spot for I think, several um, days. You know, we kind of talk about drug issues a lot on this program and there was a little bit of that um, seemingly maybe from some adulterated substances mm. and then just your typical thing of what so you get when testing. you get nearly 7,000 people in a, in a venue for, for days at a time. Um, like, of course, there's going to be some people that don't do it right. But, you know, one of the troubling elements that um, I didn't witness myself but heard about post-festival was random acts of violence. Mm. And um, that's kind of weird and new and I you know like I don't really know what the response to that is yet like that that's probably something that I want to talk to a lot of other people that work in the festival space work in harm reduction maybe some people that work in security or you know higher levels of festival management and go well what on? do we do about that? And this is this is uh, Strawberry Fields is pretty much um, the first major festival for the summer season. So this is the beginning of what's to come. We are at that point now. Uh, you know, it's been a sweaty week, uh, and uh, a number of festivals are coming up right now. Earthcore is on. Uh, Earthcore has had a number of problems in the past week uh, with about thirty of the artists that they had advertised and sold tickets for dropping out of the event um, with. Claims that they hadn't been paid. Uh, well, you know, they, they get contracts uh, to come and do these things, and it includes uh, payment for them performing, a payment for uh, accommodation, payment for flights, and that sort of thing. And uh, a number of artists have got online and, and uh, expressed um, their disappointment with the Earthcore promoter, Spiro uh, Borsin, um, who has been around since the early 90s. And it's not the first time that these problems have come up for Spiro. Um, it seems like like he's a promoter with an attitude and an attitude that is um, detrimental to the Doof scene um, overall uh, because he's he, he's creating bad relationships with uh, people all over the place. Um, but I, I also understand that the people, uh, the other people that are working behind Earthcore are really, you know, they're part of the community. They're trying to get something to happen here. Uh, so Earthcore, anyway, that's on this weekend. Also, uh, it is schoolies time as well. It's the end of the year. Um, it, it, I, I don't know when the uh, results have VCE results come out yet, or is that uh, a little uh, bit later? I don't well, think so. Look, it's coming out, <laughs> coming out soon. So they'll get all those. Um, geez, I'm remembering now. I'm feeling feeling old, but it was. Um, geez, now how old am I? 13 years ago that I was doing my own schoolies. Um, but it's schoolies time as well, and there will there are a number of uh, sort of uh, unofficial events around uh, around the state um, looking after after schoolies as well. So it's a busy time, and then there's more festivals coming up. Rainbow Serpent Festival, of course, in January, um, which is a, a staple and, and almost a, a pilgrimage for a lot of people uh, in the Doof community, and there's a number of other festivals that are going on. So, you know... Be, Big times, but let, let's get stuck into uh, some news because it's about that time. And psychedelia news of the week. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a 
a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ice use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues, so they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or, or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say, oh well, then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a, a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. Mexican authorities have seized a homemade cannon along with cartridges, charges and more than 800 kilograms of marijuana on the Mexican border town of Agua Prieto, Sonora. Um, it's the kind of weird things that happen in Prohibition. There, there has been a distinct decline in the amount of cannabis moving over the border since so many jurisdictions in the United States have started legalising it. Um, but apparently this cannon was fired through the, the sunroof of a van, basically shooting large packages of marijuana <laughs> over the border. So um, well, the, Trump's wall isn't going to stop that, is it? <laughs> well, he did come out a while back. Um, there, there was a person who got hit by one of these packages and he was like, okay, we got to make the wall see-through now. <laughs> so that was the reason and, I, you know, I, I guess just legalized cannabis and they won't be firing it over a wall in a cannon anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty ridiculous thing. Um, last week, the Australasian Professional Society of uh, on Alcohol and Other Drugs, or APSAD, uh, conference was on in Melbourne um, with a number of people from uh, all across, especially the um, uh, Asia-Pacific reg- region, but also all across the world came together to talk about uh, harm reduction initiatives. Uh, and one of the people that was along uh, was uh, Fiona Meesham. And Fiona Meesham is uh, the leading person behind a project called The Loop in the UK. And The Loop uh, have been conducting uh, pill testing successfully at several festivals in the UK, uh, have really uh, proven its worth as a harm reduction initiative and they're not the first ones to do it it's it's an initiative um, pill testing is an initiative that's been happening in other countries across Europe uh, the Netherlands in particular are a uh, positive uh, standout because uh, they, they really have a non-judgmental approach that's all about uh, health human rights rather than about the message that we constantly get here uh, so Fiona Meesham was um, uh, talking about um, about some of the results that she'd had, especially at the Secret Garden Party, which was the first time that they uh, conducted uh, the the pill testing uh, in a in a professional uh, manner, and and it, it showed that uh, that people who engage with these sorts of services are less likely to engage in uh, dangerous sorts of behaviour, uh, more likely to uh, throw out drugs if they don't know what those drugs are. Uh, The whole point of this service is to give people a point of contact with somebody that knows what they're talking about so that person can talk to somebody uh, that doesn't necessarily understand 
um, drugs are complex, you know. It's a, it's a complex area. And if we can get people talking to the people that understand these things, uh, then maybe people will make better decisions. And this is what has been shown with um, Fiona Meesham and The Loop uh, and, and their research. And we're hoping to get Fiona. She's actually still in Australia at the moment. She will be at Rainbow Serpent Festival in January. Uh, hoping and to get her EGA. on the show. And EGA, Entheogenesis Australis, uh, 8th till 10th of December. Uh, the psychedelic symposium. She'll be speaking uh, there about that. She's, yeah, I've been. Uh, I was in an email thread because she was meant to be speaking on a panel at Rainbow Serpent, and unfortunately couldn't make it due to a busy no, uh, schedule. Strawberry fields. Strawberry fields. That's yeah. what I meant. Yes, and um, yeah, she couldn't make it due to um, a bit of a bug uh, that a couple of people picked up after that uh, and, and said <laughs> conference. However you pronounce it, um, but she was actually quite surprised at the like when we mentioned about the roadside drug testing and some of the things that happen in the festival scene she was like you what because <laughs> it's a very mm. uniquely this is something that listeners might not be aware of but the way that we do random roadside drug testing in australia is quite unique that's they don't target it's, festivals it's, like this anywhere it's in because Europe. it's um almost legally unprecedented uh we we, we, res- we have these reports all the time uh that people uh you know these are drug drivers these are impaired drivers but the, the reality of the testing that is conducted on the roads has nothing to do with impairment uh, in fact people can be pulled up and this is this has been shown there was a case in New South Wales where a guy got charged for drug driving uh, you know and and the rhetoric that goes out into the media is this is an impaired man we're removing him from the roads because he uh, uh, he's he's a danger to, to safety but the reality of these tests is uh, that they don't actually detect impairment and this man hadn't had cannabis which showed up for a week. And he managed to get the charges dropped, which was fantastic. But this, it took him a lot of time. It took him a lot of money. And the, the fact is that you have to go and then battle this in court. You have to go and then uh, demonstrate to the court that actually, no, I wasn't impaired. I wasn't uh, unsafe for roadside, uh, for driving. Um, so in that context, some of the reporting from Strawberry Fields in the Weekly Times, um, you know, basically regurgitating a press release from the Weekly police. Weekly Times being a regional uh, newspaper. That's correct, yes. Um, 58 people were detected, quote-unquote, driving under the influence of an illicit drug while the use of sniffer dogs resulted in 80 drug detections. So those 58 people, I, I believe the charge is not actually driving under the influence. They, they There's a, a range of charges that people can get and... Um, from memory, my understanding is that the charge is actually driving with an illicit drug in your system um, mm-hmm. because they don't actually allege impairment. It's, yeah, it's well, kind of implied in the reporting had, and all of I the rest of I had one of these. I, I, uh, just for all of the public to know now, I, I um, managed to get myself a, uh, uh, a, a... I had to go to court uh, over an issue uh, in Queensland coming back from Earth Frequency Festival um, where there was a detection of cannabis in me and... And surprise, surprise, the people that do the drug show also happen to be peers of drug users. Uh, that's a sly way of saying, yeah, I, I am a person that uh, takes drugs. Um, but I'm also responsible. I'm not going to go and get on the roads when I'm uh, I- impaired and incapacitated. And when I spoke to the police officer there, well, while he was running me through this uh, invasive test where you, they scrape your tongue and get all your saliva and make you sit around for 10 minutes while they see if it detects it, um, I was speaking to the police officer and he said to me, you know, you're 
clearly not impaired. Um, and I told him the whole story. I, you know, said all my preparation, all the sleep, the food, all the things that you would normally do when you have to have a big drive ahead of you. And he said, look, I, you're not impaired, but here's our test and, and here's what happened. And I had to go up to Ipswich in Queensland to defend myself in court over it. Uh, luckily received um, only a very, very minor uh, charge. It was a one-month uh, drug driving... Uh, sorry, one-month um, uh, not allowed to be on the roads, which uh, it also turns out, just for a, a fun fact, uh, our states don't uh, necessarily communicate these things with each other. Uh, I kept off the roads for a month and I went to Vic Roads as soon as I got back and said, this is what happened. And they said, oh, well, it's not on our records. And then after the month, I went back to Vic Roads and I said, oh, well, you know, it's been a month now, so I'm, I'm getting on the road. And they said, look, we never had any file um, that, that banned you from the road. You were allowed to drive for that whole month. And I said, well, look, better to be safe than sorry, but, geez, you guys are pretty slack with communicating your uh, offences to each other. So, that you know, that's just a little personal story for you. Um, look, let's, let's switch now to drug testing of welfare recipients uh, because drug testing of welfare recipients was um, announced in the budget uh, in the middle of this year as part of the uh, Federal Liberal Party or the Federal Government's uh, plan... Uh, one of the things that they wanted to roll out. Uh, they were going to do a trial of 5,000 uh, welfare recipients, and I say they were going to because uh, the welfare... Uh, sorry, Social Services Minister Christian Porter uh, has announced this week that there are... It, it's a huge bill uh, to um, amend... Uh, our social services with many, many, many factors in it and only one small part of this apparently about 200-page bill relates to this testing and because they're worried about the numbers in Parliament... They're thinking of dropping that, which is fantastic news. Um, almost all of the, the crossbench are opposed to it. Um, the ALP are uh, be opposed to it. The Greens are opposed to it. Um, so it looks like it's not going to go ahead, which is fantastic news because it was never an initiative that was going to uh, be positive and, and help people um, with any issues. Well, let's have two back-to-back -back good stories then. So, um, overseas, a police chief in the district of Durham, I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it, has stated that his local police force will stop prosecuting all quote-unquote drug addicts and uh, along with low-level dealers of heroin and cocaine um, in preference to uh, assisting people into treatment. Um, this is out of recognition of the entire futility of, of doing that. Um, it is the first time a British police force has decided not to prosecute dealers who usually face a minimum of 18 months in prison. <clears throat> the shock move follows a two-year trial of a scheme that allowed addicts to avoid court and a criminal record. Instead, they must agree to join a four-month checkpoint program that tackles underlying problems such as their lifestyles. Now Mr Barden is extending the scheme to cover anyone cultivating cannabis and even some suppliers of cocaine, ecstasy and heroin. Um, so they will now be wrapped into the, the similar program. It's essentially a, a local rollout of a program very similar to Portugal's decriminalisation program. 
This is Inside Cadelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Coming up in the program, we will be hearing from uh, President of the James Cook University SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy Chapter, um, uh, Glenn Lynch. Uh, we'll be hearing from him. And also uh, Kate Pern and Gaia Miller-Foot, who are both uh, peer uh, leaders for the Party Project, which is the uh, peer advocacy response uh, training initiative. And we're going to be hearing from them a bit later in the program. But right now, um, I have for you Deep Forest. Not an Australian group. Uh, he's from France, Deep Forest, uh, but something that probably a lot of you might have grown up with if you're around my age. Um, for those of you that aren't, you might have heard of them um, because they were big pop artists in the in the 90s. There was a few songs that got onto the pop charts. Uh, and Deep Forest were one of the artists that didn't get cancelled at, at Earthcore and are actually playing at uh, Earthcore. Again, about 30 artists got cancelled. Deep Forest did not, and they're playing there this weekend. This is Deep Forest Sing With The Birds, the Swiss, uh, Sweats and Clank remix. Three CR Community Radio eight five five AM digital and streaming at three CR This is in psychedelia, and right now on the line uh, we have Glenn Lynch, the president of the newly formed Students for Sensible Drug Policy chapter up in Queensland at James Cook University in Townsville. Uh, uh, Glenn, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Nick. Uh, now, uh, before we get into it, maybe just tell us a little bit about the uh, James Cook University chapter. How long have you been going? How's the uh, how's the response been up there so far? Because we don't often hear things from all the way up there in Queensland. Oh, look, we're a little bit forgotten and we're a little bit remote from the rest of the world, really. Um, I first had contacted the guys with from uh, Students for Sensible Drug Policy about a year ago and it was about mid-year that I thought, geez, I better pull my finger out and actually do something local, act local, think global. And uh, so I put a, a word out to a few of my friends that uh, I knew had um, a bit of a social conscience and that sort of thing and we got together for an initial meeting and we determined that we needed 20, 20 signatures to, to affiliate a, a student association and sort of six weeks later we had 50 signatures and on the 25th of September and away we went. So I mean you are up there in uh, in, in Townsville do you have some unique uh, do you feel like there are, there's some unique uh, drug issues around that area unique drug policy issues around uh, around Townsville or is it something that's... Yeah well look what's probably most significant for Townsville and what's what's very front of mind for in the election campaign is, um, well, they're saying, oh, it's a youth crime rate. We've got the highest crime rate in, um, in Queensland at the moment here. It's mainly youth crime. And that's because we've got over 20% unemployment rate. Right. And linked into that and the social dysfunction that's associated with all that um, breakdown of, you know, lack of hope, lack of employment, and all that associated stuff, there's drug use Wendell's Swain there, mm. but mainly the focus hasn't been about labelling people as drug users or anything like that. It's actually been 
the youth crime that's been associated, and, and some of that crime is obviously going to fund, fund drugs, but that hasn't been the central essential issue that it's been labelled. It's been more been, oh, these bad youth locked them up, locked them up. Right, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're having a similar sort of uh, discussion uh, in Melbourne around, um, I mean, the Herald Sun likes to call it the apex gang. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced that it's a, uh, a, 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 that the phenomena is as real as the Herald Sun likes to make it out uh, to be. But mm-hmm. it is this focus of, uh, you know, law and order and um, uh, an increasing uh, law and order to, to sort of increase people's idea of safety. But the, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, the, the, the problems are more complex than that. Um, and when you do have something like 20% uh, unemployment, uh, the, the problem isn't just that somebody doesn't have a job. Uh, the problems are more systemic in the community. It's um, what, what is there for people to do? Um, what, what do people do when they can't do the things that they want to do? Um, what, what do people do when they can't do anything at all? Um, is there volunteering opportunities or, you know, I mean, people are, are spending their time on, on other things because they're, what else is there to do? Well, yeah, I mean, these people are lacking hope. They're, they're, they don't feel valued or connected to the community and lots of them are from Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander backgrounds and they've got their own set of um, burdens to deal with that, that add into that and... You know, it's, it's, it makes it very hard. People, people don't generally don't rebel or um, hurt communities that they feel embraced or connected to. Yeah. And you've got a whole heap of people that, you know, there may be five people living in your house and no one's got a job. Well, oh, geez. Yeah, Your social exactly. modelling's going to tell you that having no job and no, no hope and no income and no, no purchasing power, no, no decision-making power, well, that's that's the way life is, and geez, what, where's the point? Now, we've just had a, uh, a state election in Queensland um, and the results uh, should be available shortly. Um, but wh- did, did uh, any drug policy issues come up in the, uh, in the, in the Queensland election? Very, very little. Um, the only mention I saw was the... Um, the oh, who are they? Pauline Hanson's One Nation oh. had a, a little bit of a thing about, oh, we'd like to see medical cannabis made available. Right, yeah, it's interesting that um, One Nation have been uh, getting getting on to that because they're, I mean, I, I suppose they're a, they're a populist party. They're looking for, um, for for policies that they think are going to help increase them, but it's just surprising because they're also a, uh, uh, what some might describe as a, a hard right party as well. You know, they're, they're sort of uh, focused on nationalism and, uh, and, and rhetoric that uh, sort of stands around that, um, but they have this uh, support of medical cannabis now, which probably just shows that the policy itself and, and the idea, uh, it's, 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 it has to happen. Medical cannabis is um, an idea that uh, is no longer just uh, on the fringes. It just needs to happen, and it's who who will roll it out and how will it roll out. Um, and I know that there's been a number of problems with um, rollouts across the country, um, with it being fairly limited. I did see that, uh, I think it was in Townsville, um, a uh, pharmacist was the first one in, in Townsville to uh, receive their licence to uh, distribute... Well, yeah, yeah. So that's very exciting. So the pharmacist in Townsville has uh, the, the first license in Queensland to uh, distribute um, medical cannabis, but uh, again, be a, a fairly limited model, from what I understand. Yeah, and look, in, in One Nation's defence, I went out to the three primaries, um, the, all the three three electoral divisions in Townsville, and so I went out to 
Labor, the LNP and One Nation, all the, all their reps up for election in those three divisions. And the only ones who got back to me were One Nation, and they invited me to their, their coordination meeting to chat to them about drug policy. Oh, really? So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'll, well... I thought that was pretty good of them. I mean, no one else, half the people didn't even open the goddamn message. That's, that's all you want so, in, a, in a democratic society. You just want to be able to talk. No matter who it is, you want to be able to talk with them uh, about about whatever the issue is that's important to you. That's that's the idea of democracy. So, yeah, they, they won points on that issue. So, with me anyway, <laughs> I thought that was, that was um, engaging of them. Yes, yeah, um, and it is, you know, it's it's good no matter who you're speaking to, even though uh, on, on other issues it might not be uh, as good. But, uh, you know, it, the, the issue is the important thing here, and I'm glad to hear that... Uh, you know, people are yeah, listening, but obviously not the uh, not the uh, major parties not listening as much. They're still on their uh... well in town in Townsville. One Nation is a major party at the moment. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I had to I had to refrain from referring to them as Pauline Hanson's racist nation. Just you know, sometimes <laughs> I got to bite my tongue. But yeah, that's yeah. So, I suppose that's that's Queensland, yeah. I, I, you know, we don't see this as much. There's certainly, I mean, there's basically no presence of that party in uh, in Victoria. We have, um, you know, different different you know, minor. I the Greens got up. Yes, the great. Well, yeah, exactly. They got up uh, last weekend in the uh, Northcote by-election. Lydia Thorpe uh, won the uh, seat of Northcote for the first time ever from the ALP, and I think about ninety years of that uh, that seat. Uh, existing. The so. ALP are worried. Yeah, yeah, and they should be because there's. It's not just that seat. There's other seats that they uh, uh, they need to watch out for. But I think it's you know it's an interesting landscape across the whole country. We're seeing minor parties that are tapping into much more uh, local issues, and I, I do wonder what's going to happen uh, when New South Wales uh, the gets the, of the, the breakdown of the dysfunctional two party systems. What's yeah. going to happen? Thank yeah. Christ for that. Can't come too soon. Exactly. And then it's um you know then it's uh. How does uh, how does it all work um, when there are more minor parties? Because there seems to be a, a a distaste at the moment from Australian governments to form. Uh, I mean, we do have a coalition government, the the Liberal co- Liberal National Coalition, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it seems like it's a, it's hard for governments to form coalition in Australia when it's uh, seems to be the norm across Europe. Um, lots of well, Angela governments. Merkel's coalition talks broke down after one or two months from the election. Uh, it was yesterday that they walked away from coalition talks. So, right. yeah, no, <laughs> they're, they're, that's, that's a common problem, and I think it's going to become more and more common. We're speaking with uh, Glenn Lynch, the president of the Students for Sensible Drug Policy, James Cook University chapter up in Queensland. Uh, now, Glenn, um, just finally, is there any uh, anything? What, what's on the uh, horizon for JCU SSDP for 2018? Because I guess you're all done for this year. Oh, most definitely done for this year. We didn't we didn't actually do a whole lot this year. We're we're just get, gathering together some um, materials to um, really do a public launch. We've done a soft launch. We've gone out to friends and family, sort of thing, to to get names on pieces of paper and and uh, welcome day at semester one next year. We'll uh, be front and centre as one of the stalls at welcome day and go public and see what we see uh, what. Uh, interest we can gather and from there we're hoping to run a number of nights um, just about interactions with police and um, harm reduction strategies for people that may may wish to take drugs and yeah that's that's really we've got um, I think it's four nights 
over the period of the semester, sort of three, three weeks apart, that will run. And, um, yeah, hopefully we get some interest. Hopefully we um, give some people some good quality information that might uh, help them in their lives. Thank you very much for coming on to the program and talking to us a little bit about what's going on uh, with SSDP and uh, up in Queensland, Glenn. Thanks very much, Nick. You have a good day. You too. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. Featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Friday the 1st of December from 10am to 3pm at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. G'day, my name's Nick Wallace from Encyclopedia. 2pm every Sunday on 3CR. The EGA 2017 Psychedelic Symposium will bring together a diverse range of experts and perspectives from across the world to discuss psychedelics, entheogenic plants and the broader issues around how society relates to altered states and the plants, fungi and substances that bring them about. We'll be broadcasting live from the symposium in Eildon with a panel discussion looking into some of the broad implications of modern drug policy alongside a growing body of knowledge about the effects and uses of psychedelics and other drugs. In Psychedelia, live from the EGA Psychedelic Symposium, Sunday the 10th of December from 2pm. For more info, visit entheo.net. Harm reduction refers to policies, programs and practices that aim primarily to reduce the adverse health, social and economic consequences of the use of legal and illegal psychoactive drugs without necessarily reducing drug consumption. Harm reduction benefits people who use drugs, their families and the community. If you want to know more about harm reduction in Victoria, head to hrvic.org.au. Harm Reduction Victoria is a non-profit, user-based and user-governed organisation which aims to educate, inform, support and advocate for people who use drugs, their friends, families and broader community. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. My name is Nick. You're listening to In Psychedelia, uh, Ash in the studio as well. And we are now speaking with uh, two peer leaders from a new initiative, the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative, or PARTY. Um, uh, Kate Pern and Gaia Millerfoot, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming on the program, guys. Now let's let's um let's let, let, let's give give some context for it first. What is the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative or Party? We're an organisation. We're running um, training programs for based in Chapel Street and St Kilda area. Running training programs for venue staff in um, how to respond to overdose, prevent overdose. Um, um, and perform drug-related harm reduction as well as um, running some education campaigns um, and social media campaigns around um, harm reduction in the area. So what, what, what's um, brought on the need for this sort of, uh, this sort of project? Well, there were, I guess there were... Um, I mean, it's something that's probably been lacking in general in in this sort of area in terms of um, any kind of like overdose-based, uh, overdose prevention-based project for nightclubs in particular. Um, 
There were also some really tragic overdose deaths earlier in the year and um, that sort of, I guess, led to growing concern about, um, yeah, I guess it, it really raised the issue that it's something that needs to be addressed and um, not just um, preventing overdose deaths but just also all the other kinds of drug-related harms that can happen and um, using a harm reduction approach um, rather than necessarily a hardline law enforcement approach. So the sort of responses that we have seen from both law enforcement and even from the uh, nightclub community, especially from promoters, uh, has been uh, over the past couple of years. We've seen some nightclubs uh, having bans on specific drugs, which seems uh, a little bit odd considering all of the illicit drugs are illicit, (laughs) illegal, but we have seen uh, promoters specifically putting up information about drugs like GHB and methamphetamine or ice uh, and and, and trying to avoid those sorts of things. So these are the sorts of responses that we have seen in the past. Then, of course, as you mentioned at the start of this year, there were a number of uh, overdoses uh, which were related to GHB, I believe. There were also uh, some other substances, some unknown substances that were ending up at nightclubs. So it's a it's an initiative that ha- has, you know, it's a very timely initiative. Um, both of you are... Uh, I'll, just, um, oh. I'll just clarify, the, the deaths in January were caused by um, uh, what we understand to be um, embomy um, substances as opposed to GHB. Um, people thought they were buying MDMA caps, but... Um, it contained um, embome, and I can't remember what the other. It was, um, was four fluoroamphetamine, twenty five C embome, and a little bit of MDMA. Thanks, Ash. Yeah. Um, the way I, I actually haven't been referring to them as overdoses, though. I think it's possibly. I mean, you know, it depends who you're talking to. But for here and our listeners, I tend to refer to them as accidental poisonings because an overdose would be overdosing on a substance that you're taking what you think you're taking. Mm, that's a really good point. Yeah, um, it's really interesting, point, Nick, mm. that you mentioned um, the banning because it's been really interesting for us um, meeting and speaking to, um, you know, various members of the community, you know, on um, on around Chapel Street and in the area and, um, you know, speaking to club managers, venue managers and sort of their their experience um, and, um, and the kind of some of the reasoning behind banning GHB, for example. Um, I, you know, when I heard about clubs doing that, you know, obviously, like, it goes against harm reduction principles and our heckles go up. Um, But, you know, what they're telling me is things like, look, you know, you absolutely cannot mix alcohol with GHB where we make our money from selling alcohol. That's how, like, that's how we make our profit. That's how what our business model is. So, like, how could we possibly tell people it's okay to take GHB in this premises when it's so dangerous to consume with alcohol? Which I think is a is a reasonable um, point. Um, and I I think it's important to have. Um, empathy and understanding for, you know, I guess the motivation behind, um, you know, these practices. Um, and, you know, also that they tell me that when, you know, um, they put out, you know, this clear message on social media that people are going to be banned, um, then, you know, 
people stop blowing out for months, you know, responding right. to that. So, so it has it has actually been really a successful method. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, obviously there like, are very valid concerns about people, you know, being afraid to be banned so they, you know, don't seek help when they need it or don't seek help when their friend needs help. Um, but I think it's also important to, to listen to some of these venues who have been around for a really long time and dealing with these, you know, drugs for a long time and um, I guess sort of what their personal experience um, is and sort of their, their motivations for for bringing the rules they do and um, and we're trying to create like a really collaborative approach. So mm. you know, talking about venues and saying, okay, like respecting their choice to have banned substances, but then also um, you know working with them in also simultaneously having um, you know good um, quality advice about. If you do choose to take these substances, this is how to, how to do so safely. That's a really big part of, um, I guess, that's the R in the party project is being responsive. So um, we really want to be flexible in terms of how we actually um, are responding to the issues that individual nightclubs are seeing or their, their varied needs. So um, we don't want to be coming in and telling them how to do their job. If, they're, if they've got systems in place that are working really well, then that's fantastic. We can... Um, work with them or even look at sharing those systems with other venues who might need a little bit more of a hand. Um, but if there is are areas that they feel like they're struggling with or we feel like we might be able to um, give some advice to them, then we're happy to point that out as well. But, um, yeah, it's about sort of working within um, their their parameters and I suppose, um, yeah, I guess if there are, there are things that they're not willing to be flexible on, like, like bans on certain substances, for um, their own reasons, then we can look at um, having informa information posters that say things like it's okay to ask for help and really getting the venues on board with um, being open to, to people asking for help if they need it and just sort of, I guess, establishing that trust between people who go to clubs and the, the people that work there. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Right now on the phone we have peer leaders for the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative, or PARTY, Kate Pern and Gaia Miller-Foot. Uh, Ash? So it's a fairly new program. Um, how's it going, the rollout of it? Maybe if we could get a bit of a picture of like where you guys are at and, and how it's developed and, and what's, um, what's kind of coming for summer, what you guys have got in mind next. So we're, we're in the midst of sort of completing our training um, where um, we're going to be um, just doing some final training with um, DanceWise. Um, and, well, I guess when I say training, like our, I guess our first round of, of, of training. Um, we're or, meeting um, with staff at managers. the... Okay, yep, sorry, go on. Yeah, so we're meeting with, so we're meeting with venue managers really working out what the needs of, you know, the venues are, what are the um, biggest concerns, um, and what's, what's the, the two uh, main things that have been coming up is um, concerns around GHB and people, um, you know, blowing out, um, that it um, seems to have had a bit of a resurgence amongst, um, I guess, like a new demographic, so where been you know it's always been in Melbourne and but particularly amongst sort of um, within like the gay scene and um, like sex and premises sort of venues um, it's becoming a, a lot more and um, with you know younger I guess you know 
younger people in more like you know outside of the queer scene um and so and i guess in um demographics where there isn't so much of a tradition of um harm reduction and education and passing on knowledge from um to each other and and so there have been a lot a lot of sort of blowouts um in in chapel street um and uh, the other thing is just, uh, I guess, fear around novel substances or things turning up in caps and pills that are supposed to be MDMA that aren't, um, and that sort of, you know, people respond to in ways that no one's expecting or seen before. Um, so we're sort of, I guess, our, we're, our training is being developed, you know, around those concerns um, to um, look at those um, concerns initially. Um, and where next step is to um, roll out the training and have a, um, a like a campaign, so social media and, and poster campaign to go along with that. So it would be particularly targeting GHB um, at this stage because there seems to be a lot of misinformation and just uh, like a lack of understanding about even simple things like dosing. Um, you know, pe- uh, you know, heard been hearing people advocating for sort of taking, you know, one mil every hour, um, you know, as opposed to sort of waiting, and which is particularly concerning. And people are probably more likely to be taking GBL with a slower onset, and um, people not even knowing how to dose and just you know taking things like sipping it out of the hand. And um, so, yeah, would be a big focus on that. And um, just just for anybody that's listening along at home and is wondering what this drug is, GHB, maybe we'll just give a, a bit of background uh, quickly because it's, uh, I, I mean, we, we use this term GHB, it's often referred to as juice. Um, I've no, noticed that our crime or crime journalist, uh, John Sylvester, who uh, participated in the um, underbelly uh, writing, has been referring to one of the analogues, which is much more likely to be uh, turning up in Melbourne, as butte, uh, which I've never heard anybody call it. Have you guys heard it, heard it being called butte before? No, only no. Only by the newspaper. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think news- newspapers have a tendency to just make make things up from a very distant perspective. It's your it's your uh, dad or grandpa coming up with nonsense, but uh, two substances that are more likely, uh, in fact, almost definitely, the substances in Melbourne are one four B and GBL, which are uh, similar to GHB uh, but not the same, and have different risks associated with them as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Ash? So reading straight off the DanceWise um, <clears throat> resource for GHB, DanceWise is uh, the program from Home Reduction Victoria that does a lot of outreach in the festival scene. GHB comes in different forms. Most of them have a very salty taste or taste like licorice. 1,4-B and GBL, on the other hand, are described as tasting like drinking liquid plastic or strong, unpleasant, bitter acid chemical taste. 1,4-B, uh, when pure, is an oily solid until it reaches 21 degrees which will it will turn to a clear thick liquid and um gbl is uh freezes at around 10 degrees so they're they're clear liquids that um 
uh, dosed in very small dose ranges. So um, that's one of the risks for them is uh, people drinking them or consuming them without knowing. And one of the major contraindicators, uh, so a substance that you, when you put that on top of the other substance, uh, they really don't have a bad, re- uh, a bad uh, they really don't have a good reaction together, is alcohol. And at nightclubs, of course, as you mentioned before, uh, the, the main product that is being sold is alcohol. So understandably... Um, I you know. definitely appreciate the complicated relationship that yeah. uh, club owners are in. I, I've had that similar conversation that you guys were talking about earlier um, with other activists in the field. I'm like, well, you know, to be fair, it's pretty reasonable for a club owner to, oh. to want to discourage a substance that is most harmful in the presence of the drug, alcohol, the legal drug yeah. that, that is the basis of that premise. On a side note, though, I do think it is a uh, interesting dynamic because I have actually read uh, some of the minutes from some of the liquor licensee forums, which are generally attended by police, ambulance. Uh, probably you guys uh, turn up to those sorts of things uh, and also licensed, um, mm-hmm. yeah, li- licensees. Um, and I've just, uh, you know, liquor licensee forum, you assume they're going to be talking yeah. about liquor issues, but they are talking about drug issues a lot. Um, and I, I, I just thought it was. Um, it's an interesting dynamic to see people uh, they're not really talking about necessarily the harm of a substance it's the competition between different substances <laughs> they know that they're selling something that is a, uh, a potentially dangerous drug um, <laughs> And there are other potentially right. dangerous drugs. I just thought that was an interesting dynamic, but that's maybe a side note. <laughs> so, um, well, I think it's a really important note, though, because, I mean, when you look at the pricing model of liquor licensing and, you know, how you can afford your licence, the only way you can really do that is to encourage people to binge drink on alcohol. I mean, the whole model is set up to do that. So it's it's... You know, this is constantly underpinning, you know, all of the issues we have about harm that occurs to people in nightclubs is that the model is set up on people essentially overdosing on alcohol. Um, Yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah, it is. That's probably uh, a wider discussion for later because it's something that uh, clearly needs fixing. It's clearly problematic. We know that uh, Australia generally, if we, I mean, this is a pretty broad statement, but Australia has an alcohol problem. <laughs> and um, there, I think we just generally have a misunderstanding of a lot of drugs. So I think that this, this initiative um, that you are now doing along with a, a number of other people, the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative or PARTY, um, is really important in... In, uh, essentially, I mean, you're essentially adding extra information to uh, the staff at these venues, um, RSA, their Responsible Service of Alcohol, where they have to yeah. uh, apparently learn uh, how to serve resp- alcohol responsibly. But it's adding to that uh, that knowledge, um, the fact that people are, no matter how much you want to tell people they're illegal, we ban them, etc., etc., people are going to take drugs at nightclubs. And we know this. It's, it's not a, a disputed fact. <laughs> So um, yeah. one question. So okay. Yeah. So you guys have worked with um, venue owners and and managers yeah. and bar staff, and, and you're doing the postering campaign. Are you doing any outreach as well, like actually getting out, you know, speaking to people in the nights that are actually going out to these venues? At the moment, we're actually um, rolling out a, a survey. Um, so while that's not necessarily direct outreach, but um, we're collecting data. You can actually, if you're interested and anyone's interested in um, participating in our survey, it, the link is, has been shared on our um, Party Project Facebook page. So you can find us on Facebook um, if you search Party Project. That's P 
P-A-R-T-I instead of Y. Um, so basically we're looking at collecting data on um, a whole range of things, but the kinds of drugs that people take in a club setting as well as other settings, um, the, the sorts of areas that they go to, um, what any, if any uh, harm reduction strategies they've seen in place at, um, when they've been out and about or going to clubs, um, what worked, what didn't work, what they'd like to see, um, because that information is really important for us to collect in terms of how we respond. So um, we really want to be sharing those, uh, sharing that survey with our, uh, with our peers and with our network so that we get a really good understanding of, um, I guess, the drug-taking culture in the sort of Chapel Street Club precinct and um, what might be missing, how we, can, how we can actually help and support that. Um, in terms of doing outreach, like uh, you sort of um, talking about... Can I just add that if you do the survey, you can win a $100 Ticketmaster voucher. Mm. <laughs> sure, it's anonymous, but at the end, <laughs> yes. unanonymously, this isn't psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and yeah, streaming. absolutely. And at 3cr.org.au. Sorry, I was just going to say uh, we have Kate Pern and Ga- Gaia Miller-Foot uh, on the line, peer leaders from the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative. Uh, sorry, uh, Gaia, were you talking? Or Kate? I actually can't distinguish your voices. Yes, no worries. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say in terms of... <laughs> it was me, Gaia. Yeah, yeah, continue. Um, yeah, in terms of the outreach stuff, so um, I think especially when we started um, the because we've only been doing this project for about three months, so it's all very new and exciting. And I think initially there were a lot of people who had sort of heard about the project and they thought we'd be out um, at nightclubs actually, I guess, like um, being there to support people and, and doing harm reduction on the, on the ground. Um, while that would be fantastic, ideally what we want is to actually empower nightclub staff so that they can... Um, have the skills to to be those people themselves and so that it can be a sustainable thing so that, you know, if we're not around anymore um, or if we're not there on, on the night, um, that won't matter because hopefully, ideally, they'll actually have the skills because we will have trained them to, um, to have all those skills and to have the knowledge to respond to difficult situations that might arise from um, drug-related um, con- consuming. So, um, yeah, like... I guess in terms of yeah, in terms of outreach, it's not really our main focus. We kind of want to be, I guess, that link between that information getting to nightclub staff so that they can actually be um, be those people in their venues, if that makes sense. We're just about in saying that we are peers, so we are you know attendees at nightclubs in our in our personal time. So it's you know we've got ears to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> And that's uh, that's the importance of um, of uh, peer initiatives. That a, a peer is not um, somebody that's going in that's read a whole bunch of charts that has done these surveys. Of course, you're doing surveys, you're gathering information, but you're not somebody that's coming uh, from sort of a pure academic uh, perspective where you think you understand the problems um, that that, that uh, people are undergoing. But it might be a little bit separated. It's it's this sort of theory, theory versus practical, I guess. Um, and, and um, uh, peer initiatives have been shown, yeah, as far right. as I know, to be uh, much more effective uh, at uh, at being a conduit for good information uh, than these sort of top-down approaches, which tend to get lost along the way. Absolutely. Now, we're, ju- we're just about out of time, but maybe um, uh, to finish us off, uh, for those that are going out over the summer period... Um, 
when will they start to see some party uh, information in nightclubs around the Chapel Street, South Yarra sort of precinct? Good question. Um, I'd say probably in January. January, fantastic. That's not far away. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So ideally yeah, we really want to be... Um, <laughs> We're, we're very aware that the summer period's coming up and the, the party season and the festival season's coming up, so we really want to be rolling out these trainings as soon as possible and getting that information out there to people so that um, hopefully people will know where to go to get information and they, they feel safe and they can look after their friends and have a really fun time over summer. Congratulations to both of you and the rest of the party team. How many people are on the party team, by the way? So there's three of us, um, peer leaders, so um, Daniel Ward, our colleague as well. Um, and then we, uh, we're, it's actually a, a, um, we're, it's a um, collaboration between the Victorian AIDS Council and uh, Star Health as well. Um, so we've got their support behind us. Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, both Kate and Gaia, for joining us on the program today um, and for dealing with just, just one of the things for anybody listening along. It's it's really hard. Like, when we're sitting in the studio and you can have eye contact with each other, Ash and I are constantly talking without talking to each other, and you do that with other people that are in the studio. When you've got one person on the fine, uh, phone, it's fine. Um, it's a little bit clunky, but when you've got two, it becomes all that more clunky. Communication is not just, uh, is not just spoken. <laughs> It is uh, certainly eye contact, (laughs) but I appreciate you guys uh, 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 going through our conference call. Oh, you've done very well. Thank you so much for having us. Um, Oh, thank you so much for having us. Really, really exciting to be on your show. Yeah, check out our Facebook page. Yes, and we'll put that survey up on the page. Yeah, oh, amazing. Yeah. Put a link. I really, really appreciate your listeners oh, wonderful. You know, to hear about their experiences and um, you know why they choose to do the drugs and what they do and when, and we'd love to hear from you. And that was Kate Pern and Gaia Millerfoot, both peer leaders for the Peer Advocacy Responsive Training Initiative, uh, a harm reduction initiative that will be rolled out, uh, especially across the Chapel Street and South Yarra, uh, Yarra uh, nightclubs over the summer period and leading into next year to try try and respond to some of the problems with um, a just safe... You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Encyclopedia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.